0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a voluntary view. It's me, Jeff, with Voluntarism in Action. We've got a very special guest. We have Jack V. Lloyd, the voluntarist. That's right, the voluntarist here with us today. We're super excited. Jack, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate you having me here. Oh,
0: happy to. Happy to. So I always like to ask people how they came to voluntarism libertarianism whatever flavor of liberty philosophy they hold i feel like most people don't come to it naturally it's not just something people are born with in our society anyway so Hmm. how what was that journey like for you
1: sure so uh for me you know i started off uh as a neocon i'd say i was pretty much a neocon through my like um later teens and that was kind of just you know, from upbringing and environment and just, you know, what I've been exposed to. Uh, So I don't think I got, um, I guess you could say, too much political challenging growing up um, outside of like the mainstream left-right paradigm. And even at that wasn't, you know, very uh, intellectual, I think, in terms of thinking about ethics and philosophy. Um, But when I went to college, uh, there was a class where they were talking about the American eugenics movement. And I hadn't heard about that before, so it caused me to research uh, U.S. history and just look into the American eugenics movement, enforceable sterilization of uh, people in America. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another. I kept, you know, looking down uh, more paths of, of different government uh, malfeasance and cronyism and things like that. And over time, I started to, you know, develop my uh, love for liberty, you know, much stronger. Um, and I'd say within about mm, from that point. In about 3 years I eventually became a full-on voluntarist and I think that uh you know kind of came down to this one question that was posed to me on a, a certain website called the No State Project that said should goods and services be provided at the barrel of a gun and so that kind of you know at least ethically you know got me to that landing point of saying okay yeah no no matter what you know definitely don't think that would be ethical and so uh, from that standpoint I was definitely a, a philosophical voluntarist
0: I understand I understand I like it's it's so easy to just kind of ignore or not even know about all of the things that the government does if it doesn't affect you personally. I think mm-hmm. people can just go along and think, oh, what, what's wrong with the government? Oh, there's no problem. They do X, Y, and Z. That's because they don't see. You have to like you to go into do the research and find out. And then, oh, there's mm-hmm. some bad stuff going on here. And then yeah, and then makes people ask the the basic questions that just no one ever thinks about is is this right from a moral perspective an ethical perspective and i think when it's put that way most people would come to the same conclusion you do but it doesn't get put that way very often
1: yeah it's i'd say most people are usually dealing in the realm of like you know policy fantasy that's what i you know typically see right most people are used to being in school like oh how would you do this if you got to control the government or what policies would you write uh, mm-hmm. then, you know very rarely are you going to be encountering <coughs> people genuinely saying wait is this even an ethical solution? You know, usually the government in force, it's always about, you know, projecting a lust for power uh, and, you know, pushing that on the kids so that by the time they get out and they've been disenfranchised for so long, being in in compulsory builder school, they themselves want a chance at being in that seat of authority Uh, instead of living or to live free, I guess you could say they project their desire to control, um, to have their shot at uh, having power. So Mm -hmm.
0: seeing what they can do Mm -hmm. in the driver's seat, right. Instead of just, leaving people alone.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. right. Squid Game, actually, you know, uh, that was a part of the the series. I'm not sure if you've seen that. It's a very popular. Uh, it's a great Netflix show in terms of just the you know entertainment value. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, occult stuff that's kind of written into it and some, you know, leftist critique. But the short of it is, is that um, without giving too many spoilers, uh, you know, here or anything like that, is <laughs> that uh, people who participate in these kind of sick games in the show, uh, some of them go on to participate in it. So it's kind of like this mirroring in, I would say, um, a lot of social spheres in terms of of status brainwashing, where it's like you're tormented, and so then you grow up to become the tormentor, like participating in it, like you don't know anything else. And so it becomes Mm -hmm. acclimated to uh, the use of force and the cycle of abuse with that.
0: Right. Can't even imagine anything that isn't this way. Like who who could possibly provide the Mm -hmm. roads if the government doesn't? Right. Yeah, exactly. But... A lot of people talk about a liberty philosophy and such, but it's hard to actually do something about it, it feels like to me. But I think the entertainment route is a good way to go about that. And, of course, you've had a hand in that personally with the comic book series, The Voluntarist, which I've got some copies of that myself. Yeah! Uh Voluntarist Origins. So, So did you... Did you do the the art and the script
1: for it, or just one or the other? Um, so I'm the uh, writer producer. Uh, so at this point, my main roles is orchestration, writing the story. Um, but uh, as of recent, uh, relative I would say last few years, I've taken on lettering. So basically, it came to a point where I'm like, it just makes sense for me to do lettering because I have you know enough skills to do it in my style and stuff. And so in the beginning, I didn't, you know, I I would let somebody else letter, but now I'm just like, I'll do it myself. So outside that, then you know, there's different artists that come on for different parts, like a primary penciler. Um, sometimes there's an inker who's separate, and there's a colorist and stuff like that, depending you know what's going on. But um, there's several people who normally work together in comics. It's pretty industry standard that you'll have several people in the process sometimes even multiple writers um but definitely someone who's doing primary pencils then possibly anchor colorist and letterer and things like that so yeah.
0: makes sense it's a lot of it's a lot of work even mm-hmm. for someone who's good at it to be able to produce something like that so, yeah forgive my ignorance letterer It's mm-hmm. when you write when you write the words on the page right?
1: Right. The person who designs the text and the bubbles and like, kind of like the onomatopoeia, you know, word sounds like, or, you know, pop or bang, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there's, you know, specialties in each one of those arenas. And some people make, you know, careers out of just doing that one specialty.
0: Mm -hmm. Excellent. So what gave you the idea out of all the possible options of, I want to do something? How did a comic series about a superhero voluntarist
1: come to the fore? Sure. So um, I was studying for my bar exam after law school and I was, you know, kind of bored in between studying, like wanted to do something creative just to like change it up from, you know, memorizing a lot of dry rules to do for a test. Mm-hmm. And so I started coming I together with this idea for a movie script for a voluntary a superhero because I've just always been into comics in some way. You know, I'm not like the biggest comic historian or something like that, but I've always enjoyed like the DC animated series and, you know, different superhero movies and a lot of nerdum stuff, Star Wars, whatever, Lord of the Rings. So yeah, exactly. That kind of, you know, fun stuff. So I was like, I want to do something that I already kind of like enjoy and, you know, have fun with. So I started to do that. And then, I realized I wouldn't be able to do a movie uh, well. It would, you know, just be too expensive. So like, hey, okay, well, what could I do that like I could reasonably fundraise for and like do on a mainstream competency level? And that's where the comic idea came in, because I was like, Oh, okay, actually a comic's way more affordable to do than a decent animation, you know, an animated film or short or a live action movie. So I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna go that route instead. It's a little bit more manageable to do right. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And
0: how, what about the story idea? Said you're the guy behind the story. Yeah. So did that just was like, is it evolving as you went along or do you have it worked out from the beginning?
1: Yeah. I wrote out like mm, a huge portion of the like origin story, like there in a summer um, quite a bit. And then over time I refined it over years and like add stuff and did everything other things. So I, I, I do have quite a bit of the universe fleshed out. Um, in a sense, but I do have a lot of room for like growth and changes over time or just little adjustments that I think, you know, might be better as I go to, you know, modify it, which is part of the reason why I like doing lettering anyway, I can kind of, you know, adjust little things as I go and just make it make more sense or just, you know, just something I like a little bit better. Um, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I would say that, you know, a lot of the story is fleshed out in the, you know, behind the scenes, but there's still plenty more for me to actually put in fixed form that is, you know, right about the future of stuff and like things that happen. Um, so I'd actually just finished the fifth issue of the origin story. So the Canon Origin arc. So there'd be nice origins one. Mm-hmm. All right. Origins two mm-hmm. yeah. origins three. Yes. Origins that's the last one I have. Oh. So. um uh-huh. okay. Origins five, which I'm holding. This is unreleased yet. Um, <gasps> oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm yeah. So that, that was actually just from the latest campaign. I am still waiting on one final art print that's supposed to come to me for backers as a bonus art print. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting for my artist to, to finish the uh, the colors on that. So okay. they're almost done, and then I gotta print that and sh- you know ship back to me, and then I can finally send everyone their perk packages that has the comic and whatever else uh, they get on nice. it. Nice. So. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Yeah. I'm I'm sad to say that I've missed every single backer event. I've had to buy them all after the fact. Oh, it's all which is why that's why I'm only at three now. You say five is going to be released soon. Well, so
1: uh, yeah, it should like it's out digitally on Kindle, um, but I'm, I actually submitted mm-hmm. it to what's called any planet, you know, where you got yours. Um, and yep. they're just backlogged with everything. They've they've had a lot of crazy stuff, as you know, with all the shipments uh for supplies around the world being mm-hmm. cut off, you know, thanks to government policy. Uh yes. they were behind in a lot of stuff. So I'm still waiting for them to post it, but it's fine because I still haven't shipped the physical ones to backers yet. So I like, you know, giving it giving them a little bit of time, a little bit of preview before that comes out. Uh but yeah, I mean the even just um issue three and four, I just did a remastering on those. Like I re-lettered them myself. So I'm not sure when you got your three, but they I um now have and if you ordered from IndiePlanet, it would be a remastered version with like uh nice kind of a you know different lettering style so okay. I just updated it made it a little bit better I'm not sure when you got yours but you know there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff in the remaster and just you know making it a little bit neater and uh, exposing a little bit more of the artwork behind so
0: nice good I got mine a while ago so
1: yeah know, I have to get a newer
0: version that was why <laughs> I was gonna get four, but mm-hmm. then I found out oh man five is is coming out soon too, so I decided to hold off on that to get them both <laughs> together, save on shipping.
1: First
0: um, so. part. No. <laughs> six is going to be the the final, like wind up this Origins series, right?
1: Right. So Origins Six is the is the last issue in that Origins arc. So how I've titled it, basically the kind of coming of you know the character story developing the background and the backdrop to the major characters you know that we're following um of course there'll be more later but you know just really the the core characters that really drive the narrative and next year we'll be funding for that for origin six and i'm going to also be at the same time you know fingers crossed everything works out Uh, i'm going to remaster origins one and two so basically they're going to be redrawn with the artists that i've used the last several issues so that they all will have continuity and i'm going to letter those two again myself and when it's done, all the Origins issues will have the same art, same lettering, and I'm going to take them all and put them into a trade paperback. So basically, a trade paperbacks are like a, a book compilation of a comic book, you know, series of a certain you know range of issues for a certain topic or whatever arc. Yes. So I'm going to do all that. So 2022 is going to be really big for Voluntarius because that's going to put everything together into the compiled Origins arc series with like you know the, a new uh, book that is a new compilation book with a new uh, redesigned art cover and you know, all the other good stuff that comes with the origin six issue. So
0: is that going to be part of the backer event? Cause I want to jump on this one.
1: Yes, that one will be a part of that. So it, it, you know, all that together is going to be in there. So I'm going big, I'm, you know, I've been doing this for almost 10 years. So it'll be like a 10 year anniversary kind of thing at the same time. So I'm going to ask everybody, you know, who's, been a long time supporter and i've had a lot of people who've believed in me since the beginning so i'm really thankful to them um because i definitely have made mistakes or you know didn't do things exactly as i as i wanted and had to correct some things so you know i'm very thankful to people who believed in me and allowed me to learn the first couple of preliminary issues and, and fix things and, and keep getting better because now it's like really good now i'm like very proud <laughs> of everything but you know i had a learning curve in the first few issues of just you know figuring out what's the best way to accomplish getting the comic book done um yeah. right now i'm very well seasoned and know how to get stuff, you know, looking real nice. So
0: nice. Yeah, I felt that before when you're just starting out, you just want to yeah. get something done and not worry about it being perfect. Cause then it's right. never going to get done if it's the first thing. So
1: right. Yeah. yeah I understand. I would, yeah. And that in that case too, like it it would have been harder for me to have figured it out at the time on my own. There was some guides, um, you know, the comic book making back then, but you know, it's not the same level as there is now, I'm sure as you've seen on YouTube, like now you can really get tutorials for all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? But even back mm-hmm. then, you know, this was still kind of a niche thing of like, ooh, independent comics, but like totally independent, not like you go through image, like just mm-hmm. like a company where it's like creator owned. This is like, oh, you got to do it yourself, you know, start from scratch, you know? So uh, I was definitely one of those ones who kind of like, paved the way early with a lot of people who started doing self-funded comic books it was a thing that i kind of like a cultural thing that i was definitely a part of like if you go on indiegogo where i fundraise or kickstarter a lot of those things were like just starting around that time like getting notoriety so i was a part of those, you know kind of first group of people using this means to uh, actually create comic books totally independent of even like the smaller creator own independent labels
0: oh, fantastic yeah. fantastic now, what what have the sales been like? Of course, yeah. it's great to put this out, but you know how how many people are really interested in purchasing it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, in in the thousands. Um, so you know, I have like a pretty strong uh fan base for such a niche thing. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I definitely don't compare myself to like any mainstream publisher or anything like that. I'm not like sitting there and saying, oh yeah, you know, I have Diamond distributing to like every comic store No. Well, they've
0: got the advertising and all of that. So yeah.
1: In terms of my own success, I feel very successful just because uh, we've you know basically f- done over 100 percent funding on like the last several campaigns, like the last four or five campaigns around. We've you know gone over 100 percent of funding um, and just have had you know an increase in growing fan base even after people who buy it through Indie Planet. So it's just encouraging to see um, that you know it went from something that was very niche and small to like it started to go past. Uh, liberty crowd people and i saw people outside of that buying it you know out of an interest of so- just having something that's different from the mainstream because the comic is definitely you know different in that way you know if, if you're used to just seeing the same old you know tropes and then your you know dc or marvel mm-hmm. genre of uh, comics this is not like that and you know what i mean in terms of the topic and the conversation it's it's much higher level more intriguing uh when it comes to uh, the, the underlying philosophy being discussed, but it still runs like a story. It's not, you know, preach or anything like that. It's just, uh, it's, it's something where the government's not by default seen as good, you know?
0: So, mm-hmm. and I, I like it because you mentioned differences from the standard comic book tropes. There's mm-hmm. not a bad guy like who is the bad guy. Who's mm-hmm. the nemesis of the good guy. It's more complicated than that. Definitely. And you mentioned earlier, you mentioned having things, planned out as far as the story goes. And, uh, you know, that's a good good thing, being able to foresee what's coming. But you went to another level on the cover of the second issue. As someone pointed out on Twitter the other day, I'm going to hold it up so everyone can see. So for those of you who are just listening, the cover has the hero, uh, Jack Lloyd, tied up with the American flag and gagged with it too, with a gun to his head. And they're threatening him with an injection. Right. And this was released like five or six years ago. But if that isn't 2021 to a T. Right. Dang. (laughs) That (laughs) is some foresight right there. That is cool.
1: I I would say the comic series and a bunch of stuff I do has a lot of prescient elements to it. Uh, Foreshadowing of things that are, you know, very real world, as you could say. And you could say, I think anybody who reads it would be pleasantly surprised uh, to see all the different themes and Easter eggs that are in there and, and actually may even see things that cause them to be like, wait, what? And then like go Google some things and you know mm-hmm. wake them up to some, like some Easter
0: stuff, eggs and you know, such.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, cause even before the origin series, I did a few like future verse prototypes and stuff like that. Like there's a state of zombies, there's the NSA one and two and stuff like that. So, you know, there's some other stuff there too, but I, I try to throw it in wherever I can uh, anything that, Uh, helps people see what's going on with with the world and and, uh, government control. So
0: nice, nice. So speaking of what's going on with the world and government control, Mm -hmm. of course, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening right now with the coronavirus and the government's restrictions and vaccine passports and mandates. And you and the philosopher that's, I had to, my wife corrected me for a while before I got it right. I used to call her the philosopher. Yeah, <laughs> but it's fur. It's the philosopher. Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And uh, you guys just released a music video called "Disobey." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about that. Is that music video obviously a big project? Like, like you said, not quite a movie, but there's more, a lot that goes into it. So how did that right. come about?
1: Well, it started with the bat. Yeah, you know. <laughs> no, it, it started um, with our wanting to do a sequel to Mask Order. So, the first music video we did last year, uh, Mask Order, which is like, I don't know, something over 100,000 plus uh, views on YouTube alone, like that, that was taking on obviously the mask and pass and shut down, you know, mandates and things like that. And we just wanted to reemphasize with even more culture tie ins uh, how bad the government's malfeasances and how bad their acts are, uh, with all the different ways that they've been trying to manipulate people in the economy and, uh, and the likes. So we decided that, all right, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and fundraise for this and go ahead and and make this sequel because, you know, now is really the time with all the, the pushes that, uh, especially Joe Biden, his administration been, have been putting out there. It's really important for people to feel this culture of disobedience and, and, uh, noncompliance more than ever. So, we did it. We, you know, got successfully funded. We worked together to set up all the different things we we're going to do with the shots and the props, and you know, getting together actors because there was a lot of people for this. <laughs> there was like I think something like yes, they had a lot
0: year. of extras.
1: Yes, we had a lot of different uh, extras and you know, secondary cast and stuff like that. Lots of props, so. We just planned it as fast as we could within a couple of months, and then shot it across three different weekends, and then just released it. And it's it's doing okay so far. I mean, we're, you do face a lot of throttling and censorship, but definitely is is nowhere where it used to be. Um, we get tons of people telling us YouTube didn't even send them a notification, and they're like subscribed and get notifications, you know, on our channel. They didn't even send them a notification for the videos.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing where, of course, they wouldn't because they don't want people to think in those kind of ways. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of censorship of independent creators ever since the major corporations that is the cable news networks like bought over YouTube and are now controlling things there. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not the same, um, but we do use every element that we can on every platform we can and share on all different types of, you know, blogs and other websites and other social medias. And so it's making its way up. I think it's something over 4,000 views already. So we're just going to keep pushing it in all different ways we can and, and grow it just like we did the last one. So we'll see where it goes.
0: Nice, nice. I think it's the, the message is one, I think, that can't be overemphasized. It's the uh, Thoreau. He said that disobedience is the true foundation of liberty and that the obedient must be slaves. And of course, that's he's not saying that you have to go and do the opposite of whatever you're told. And mm-hmm. that's what makes you free, but right. it's being able to say, "No, I will not do this thing." Mm-hmm. That's what makes you free. And if you are just always doing whatever you told whatever you're told, what are you mm-hmm. but a slave without the ability to disobey, right when you want to yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so definitely a message that needs to get out there, I think but I agree. Yeah. So thank you for making that video. Oh, of course. It's fun. It's pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. (laughs) But so speaking of that, with all of the things that are going on, what do you think is the way forward for the liberty movement when faced with mandates and executive orders and all of this nonsense? Mm -hmm. What is the way forward for actually pushing liberty? Sure.
1: Um, So, I mean, to me, you know, it should always just be decentralized and that is that it's, you know, people choosing to uh, apply themselves where and how they see best based on their own individual skills, talents, and interests. Uh, But in terms of like what the actual, I think, ramifications or ripple effects are is um, I think that none of these, uh, I guess you could say, uh, mandates and tyrannies are are happening in a vacuum, right? When there's this force being put on people, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be a reaction. And With that reaction, what we encourage people to do is to, as you just said before, disobey, uh, to not comply, and to uh, put themselves in a position where they are funding those who also agree with those sentiments. So I think that to the best extent possible, people should uh, use their resources to support those who are, uh, not in alignment with this nonsense. And that could be as small as choosing where you do grocery shopping to maybe a retailer that isn't, uh, as compliant or, or doesn't enforce these mandates. Um, it could be, you know, just choosing to get whatever services that you normally would get with someone who doesn't tell you must wear a mask in order to come inside to their, their business. Um, mm-hmm. I think that actually even happened with, uh, my wife recently, she was, you know, going to a wax place and they started do a bunch of tyrannical stuff with wine and demand all this mass stuff. So she's like, okay, well I'm just going to take my business to another place that doesn't require that. And that was it. She went to another place, had a great time. And wow, she just gave money to people who are not going to go along with the tyranny. And just like that, you are taking money out of the hands of people who will obey and give it to people who uh, see through the, uh, the veil of the government tyranny and are willing to disobey and just not go along with it and live life. So I think that's, that's to me, one of the biggest things is, is choosing consciously uh, with your resources time um, and and where you choose to spend uh, to support uh, those who are disobeying or who are just not enforcing. And then on top of that, I think, you know, spreading the messages as well as you can to others for that culture disobedience is very important. I think the uh, cultural element um, is something that does influence those who have political power in terms of politicians and things like that. And so, if they start to see that the political winds are turning against them, you know, as always, you know, there's incentives there human action incentives. Uh, they mm-hmm. want to win their reelection, they want to be viewed as favorable and to, you know, get support. So, if they see that people are turning against us, Uh, you know, they're going to at least relinquish uh, to some degree, you know, depending on how proximate, you know, you can get that culture to change. And I think that's been evidenced in quite a few places already uh, with certain governors uh, choosing not to lock down or choosing to nullify federal mandates or or other types of things. So um, I think that that is is kind of the cultural backdrop that's necessary as a predicate to pushing back against the tyranny, is you need people who are being supported in their choice to uh, not comply with and to disobey these mandates. And, you know, for some people that's extra tough because they've had to choose to, um, uh, no longer work at a company or to be fired. And, you know, I think those people are heroic. Anybody who is doing that, who is, you know, forcing the hand and saying, okay, you're gonna have to fire me. Cause I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go along with your stupid, you know, mask or, you know, shot mandates, whatever. I think those people are, are some of the the greatest heroes because they're standing up for, uh, important values of bodily autonomy, autonomy and, and their property rights. So, uh, you know, just supporting those people, whatever, you know, is, is possible uh, whether it's helping them find new work or helping them get by just until they find something new, I think is important too. So, you know, there's all kinds of ways that people can help out and push the culture toward liberty and a, and a culture of disobedience. Hmm. Great thoughts. I'm curious,
0: what do you think about governors and politicians going the opposite way saying that you our businesses can't require masks or can't have any kind of vaccine passports kind of using, using the government power in the opposite way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that from an ethical standpoint, I don't think the government should be doing that either. I don't think that's the solution. I think if there is a, a state level solution in terms of like, what is mirroring uh, potential uh, market issues, I think a default of having businesses be liable for what they mandate, I think, should be the norm, um, and and that means that if they mandate a shot and you get injured, you should be able to sue the business, unless you contractually agree to otherwise. I think that would be the case in any other situation where the business, let's just say you're working in a company and they give you a truck to drive, you know, whatever deliver goods, and the truck is faulty and you crash, right? You'd sue the business for giving the faulty truck for you know giving you something that they said is safe and effective, right? If they said, oh no, drive this car, it's safe and effective, you crash. <laughs> obviously, you would sue the employer, right? The same mm-hmm. thing is, is, should be the case with companies saying, oh, no, it's safe and effective. Just take this. They should be held liable. And I think that um, if they wanted to get out of that, it should be a specific contract. They should have to say, no, we won't be held liable if you uh, take this, but you have to take it. Well, then at least they're putting the cards at the table and then every single business would be exposed for the lie, right? That's what I would like to see is, is the more that people have to face this firsthand. That's where the, to me, the culture change starts. Um. So that, you know, that to me would be the state level, like ethical, legal change that could be better. But obviously, you know, all these businesses are not doing these things, uh, you know, in a vacuum either, you know, with the, with the state law, it's, it's stemming from the federal uh, mandates by and large, and what's, you know, the Biden administration is trying to do to manipulate uh, different regulatory agencies and try to see which way they can like get these passed through to like, you know, make them stick. So, you know, it's a, it's a tough situation. Absolutely. Uh, I just think that there could be uh, better ways of dealing with it in terms of legal liability um, that could also in a closer to market sense, incentivize people that is the business owners to not enforce those, to make them voluntary, not mandatory. So.
0: Right. That's a good idea. But then it's going back to what we talked about at the beginning People are trained to just try to use this power when they have it, and not to let it go, but to try to amass more and more. And of course, that's the tendencies of, of power all the time. So it's it's difficult, and it has to stem, like you said, from the culture, which is created by things like comics and music, which is why I think some of the stuff that you've been doing has been so great.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, we I do all kinds of stuff. You know, when it comes to liberty stuff, I got music skits, comics, um, educational bits that produce. You know, all kinds of different things, memes, uh, speaking stuff, and 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 the like. So we just recently had a lot of fun too. It, um, Tom Woods 2000. They opened up with our um, Tom Woods House music video, so that was a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like you know that kind of stuff. It, you know, it's something that's just a a reminder that. Liberty doesn't just have to be like boring economics papers and stuff like that. Like you can have fun while doing stuff. You can do business. You can, you know, be a, a comic or a comedian. You can do all kinds of creative things. You know, it's, it's, not just, you know, reading about dry history or dry, you know, economics lessons or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think, I think Jeff Smith has great at that too. Cause there is, there's so much ridiculous stuff that the government does that people just don't even think about. But when it's pointed out, then they can laugh about it because it is ridiculous. And hopefully some of them can also think, wow, that's really ridiculous, like really ridiculous. But they're doing that all the time. And people can start thinking instead of just accepting everything.
1: Right. I mean, pointing out what the government does with, I think, as Rothbard said, a reverency, I think, is important. Just mocking the nature of the state mocking politicians i mean they really they need to be laughed at as if they're just clowns because that's what it is they are nothing more than a fictional orchestration of like you know boogeymen basically saying oh yes we're special we're important you need to worship us you need to give us your money and we're legitimate you know i mean when you when you just look at it for what it is it's just it is a clown show yeah, uh, yeah. And, they, and they need to be mocked for that they need to be laughed at ridiculed shown that they're hypocrites shown that they're evil and you know in some cases you know Outright exposed for some of the more sinister things that you know they've done, as you've seen with uh, the Epstein case, and and what's going on with Maxwell. And we'll see what you know happens there, but mm-hmm. if she survives this whole thing and actually talks about everything. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty wild. So yeah, the name yeah. dropping that she might do to save her skin. I don't know. We'll see.
0: Hmm. Well, I think what you were thinking about, like the aura around the state. I think Rothbard called it something like like the mystical veil of sovereignty Mm -hmm. that the state wraps itself in that allows it to get away with so much. And they do so much to maintain that. I'm thinking specifically of the stuff on January 6th, Uh, whether it was a false flag or not, like they let people in, I -hmm. don't know. But like this mythology that they've woven about it to try to make themselves seem like these valiant martyrs against the forces of chaos, right. trying to destroy the nation. It's just <laughs> the amount of buy-in that they're trying to get from people, it seems so desperate to me, but they depend on that so much because without it, what are they? They're just some people who, with guns who keep taking money. And they know, I think they know that when people realize that, then the game is up. And so they're doing everything they can to try to maintain that illusion. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because the state is just a psychological construct. It's not a physical form. It's just people acting with a certain belief and other people acting with that belief, uh, you know, in authority. And so the second that that dissipates that people start saying no, they break the psychological chains, you know, and then it dissipates as many governments have in the past, you know, not every government has lasted forever. The, uh, the psychological chains have dissipated in the past before for different regimes or different rulers. So it's not that it's impossible. It can be done. Getting to that point can be difficult when I mean, you have a government that has so much money and, and resources to be able to brainwash the next generation and, and indoctrinate and distract you know, all the time. So it's, it's a very difficult process for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But the small steps add up after a mm-hmm. while, whether it's homeschooling your kids or going to a different store or producing a comic making a song or you know, whatever it adds up
1: absolutely absolutely yeah i mean it's um it, i mean i've been around long enough at least doing this liberty stuff to ha- to like have a good benchmark to know that you know this stuff with taxation being theft is a normal cultural thing and you know all the all this uh recognition of libertarians and ANCAPs in the mainstream media even you know, just didn't exist at this level 10, 15 years ago. So it's, it's pretty cool to see it hit this level of acceptance in this cultural Overton window shift. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it myself. I haven't been working on it for all these years, uh, but um, there's still plenty more to go for sure. Yeah,
0: true, but you know, we just got to keep working on it, whether it's through putting out comics or running charity fundraisers like we do. The right. more people hear about it, more people are going to think about it. But if they never see it, never hear about it, they can't think about it.
1: Right. It can be tough to uh, imagine something that, you know, you haven't seen or heard of before. Uh, Very few people are able to have that level of innovative thinking, especially with all the uh, destruction of creative thinking in public schools.
0: Yeah. And that's nothing against them. It's just just human nature, especially when it's been pointed that way by the people in charge. Hmm. Well, thanks so very much, Jack, for coming on the show. Do you have... Any final thoughts? Anything, uh, for example, where we can watch the video, where we can purchase the comics? You mentioned sure. Indiegogo, right?
1: Um, yeah, well, the, the Indiegogos are uh, seasonal, so they come up for a certain couple months when we do the fundraiser. But if you want to check out the comic book series and get any past issues, all the links there for any planet are on volcomic.com. That's B as in victory, V O L, Ball Comics, C O M I C. So, volcomic.com. And there's, you know, a bit of the history there, characters and their stuff. And on the sidebar, you can see links to uh, physical and digital issues. And then when it comes to um, anything I'm doing with The Philosopher for music or otherwise, you can check out thephilosopher.com. And that's P-H-O-L-O, not with the I or not with the A, but it's it's pronounced pho like the Vietnamese dish So the pho, P-H-O, philosopher, L-O. S O P H E R, philosopher.com. Also, youtube.com forward slash the philosopher. You know, that's another uh, way you can connect uh, with some of our work and music and things like that. So, yeah, um, you'll be able to check out a lot of our stuff or at least, you know, springboard from there to the other projects that we do. And we do a lot of different things. So it's maybe hard to summarize all in a short bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's okay. I'm going to link to those, or put those links in the description of the video so that everyone can get to those really quick just with a click. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Jack. It's been great talking to you. And I'm looking forward to four, five, and six of the comics. That's going to be great. I got to see how it ends. Does he get his parents back? I don't know, but I want him to. So I'm going to find out.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate it. So, And keep the good work with uh, Voluntarism in Action. So, Ah, Thank you very much. We will.
0: Thank you so much for watching this video. If you like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe comment and go over to our website where you can offer donations request help help us help people who are in need voluntarily and we'll see you next time